0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. If you were here on on, uh, Monday night at prayer, you've already heard uh, the gist of what I'm going to talk about tonight, Uh, but. before I get into that, let me remind you right now, because of the uh, emergency order that's going on in Lochwood County, uh, uh, it's, it's conceivable that somebody might want to come into our ser- church and our service to see if we're complying. And I'm not an agent of the county. It's not my job as pastor to enforce county ordinances. Uh, and so uh, what goes on in here? It, there's, a, there's an ordinance that if you can't separate and socially distance from people, then, then everybody has to wear a mask. Uh, in our services, in order for us to get everybody in here on Sunday, we have to sit a little bit closer. Families have to sit together. People who uh, you know, extended not just immediate household but extended family and people who fellowship with one another outside of church Some of you ladies go out to eat with one another and have a little breakfast and coffees and things. Well, you know, there's no need to separate when you come in here because we need the seats. And so uh, I'm not enforcing anything. I'm not telling you how to respond to the county ordinance. Uh, That's that's not my job. Like I said, as the pastor of this church, I'm not called to enforce county ordinances. So whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, that's up to you. We are still trying our best to to be responsible. And uh, because we do have a disease, COVID-19, it is still in the community. It is not, uh, uh, in my view, a very uh, uh, aggressive thing right now. The disease is aggressive, but the spread is not. And the last week, numbers have bumped up a little bit, but they go up and down. But they've been going up a little and down more, and up a little and down more, and up a little and down more since January. So just because one week they're up a little bit, they've done that repeatedly, but then they go down more. We're actually, in a, in a, in a moving average, we're moving down in uh, cases and hospitalizations and all of that. And so I talked about that on Sunday. Just want to remind you that the doors will be locked at, tonight, they're locked at 7.30, they're gonna be locked at 10.30 the mo- uh, Sunday morning, here and next door gonna be locked at 6:30 Sunday night be locked at seven o'clock Monday night get here early amen so you can get in not you know because somebody's gonna because we're not locking our own people out we're we're locking the door so that we can we can regulate who comes in and if somebody comes in from the outside that that I perceive, or the, or the people that are checking at Pastor Angel or somebody else perceive are here to spy us out. They're not coming in. You wouldn't let somebody in your house while well, I'm coming to see if you're in compliance. You wouldn't let them in your house. Well, I'm not letting them in this house. So they're not coming in, so the doors are going to be locked, but we need you to get here on time and a little early so you can get in, not driving into the parking lot on you know at service time, but in the building. If you have children, that means even a little earlier so you can get your children dispersed. So, uh, yeah, you're not locked in. <laughs> Lock the doors, ushers, don't let anybody out. No, you're not locked in and you're not locked out. We just have the doors locked, in, so we've talked about that. On Monday night, <clears throat> I talked about this. Because uh, we are having more visitors right now. We're, we're seeing an uptick in visitors in our church. Part of that, I think, and this may not be all of it, but part of it is... Uh, because people have told us this that uh, churches have been shut down, and I I predicted this when this first happened. When they first told churches, you know, you gotta not hold service and stuff. Well, the Bible says we're to meet together, we're to assemble together. We 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 can do what's reasonable and we can do what's safe, but we can obey the Bible too. But I noticed that pastors real early got on this uh, uh, bandwagon of of having. Uh, services, you know, uh, by Skype or by, you know, some other means. And I I even heard of pastors all around the country saying, this is the new model. This is the greatest thing. This is, we're going to be able to have, we're going to do church different now. That COVID has forced us into making some changes that are really good. This is what we need to be doing because we need to, we need to, we don't, we can even get rid of our buildings, I have pastors even say we can we can divest themselves ourselves of all of these expensive buildings and upkeep. Yeah, and you can stay home in your pajamas. Instead of preparing to come to church, stay home under the under the ministry of the comforter. <laughs> and there's a lot of selfishness going on. But I I predicted, I said, you wait, the churches that did, because here's what all of those pastors for all of these years, for as long as they've been in ministry, said, no, you need to be in church. Watching online is not the same as being in church. You need to be in church because there's ministry that takes place when you're in church that you can't get, you know, uh, uh, on a video feed and sometimes, you know, if you're shut in or you have to, that's, that's one thing. But, but when you have an opportunity to come, you need to be here. But all of a sudden, these pastors are saying, no, we don't even need to do that at all. This is the new way. And I said, you watch those people. It's going to be hard for them to come back in later and say, now, you guys need to be in church. So anyway, I don't know uh, what's going on, but we're having visitors, and I think it could be because some people are disconnected from their church because of COVID and all the shutdowns and everything. But anyway, people are coming. Well, we are, we are having a challenge on Sunday mornings, uh, getting everybody in here s- seating-wise while we're being compliant to social distance. It's, it's a real challenge. Uh, this past Sunday, the ushers were, were scrambling to find seats for people, Uh, because people were coming in with, you know, more than just one person, a family of two or three or more, you know. And uh, they were struggling to find a place to find somebody to sit. And the reason for that is not because we don't have enough seats. The reason is because people are not sitting together like I've asked them to. Amen. Every now and then, it'll, it'll make you feel better if you'll just say, Amen, Pastor won't bother me one way or the other. Uh, but people are, folks some people are, are just not moving forward like I asked them to. We've been, I've been asking for years for people to move forward. We've been, we've been videoing our services for two or three years, I think, and I've asked people to move forward because it looks better, you know, camera-wise, when, when, uh, it doesn't look like there's an empty church who wants to go to a church over here where there's nobody there amen so i've asked you to move forward people have just been uh resistant uh, i've asked people to sit together and we've had uh people you know that uh uh say well you know i, I like to i like to be comfortable when i come to church I don't want to sit around anybody else. I want to sit in the back. I want to do, I want to sit where I want to sit. I want to feel like I'm at home. I want to feel like I'm relaxed, you know. Well, you know, uh, not everybody is relaxed at church. I'm not relaxed. When I minister, the grace of God's on me, and I like that. But uh, uh, the worship leader, he's, he's not on vacation. when he's The music department who shows up here sometimes an hour before everybody else does, and they're standing the whole time in rehearsal and they're standing in praise and worship. I imagine they don't feel relaxed during church the whole time. I'm pretty confident that the workers in the toddler room are not particularly relaxed tonight or the youth workers or any other children's workers. The ushers aren't relaxed. In other words, when people serve, it, it, it puts a demand on people. Well, you can't always be as comfortable as you'd like. Well, amen. Uh like I said, people people uh, have been reluctant to to, to uh, sit with people. Even though, and they've used people use the COVID thing as an excuse. They separate themselves. Here's somebody sitting right here. I'm not going to call names, but I could. Here's somebody sitting in a seat. Two seats over is somebody that they go out to eat with. But you see, they want those seats in between them where they can put their Bibles down and give themselves room. Listen, there's nothing wrong with reserving a seat for someone, okay? If, you come, if you're coming to church and you have somebody, you know, that's going to sit with you and reserve a seat for them, that's fine. But just putting your Bible down in another seat so nobody sits in it when there's somebody in the church that could sit there, we have got to start working together as a team and as a family and quit being so childish about things. Amen. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 10, quoted from this on Monday night. Like I said, they got a little foretaste of what I'm going to talk about, talk about tonight. Matthew chapter 10. Now, Matthew in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is giving instructions about ministry. He sent the, the 12 disciples out and... Uh, Told them to go out and and minister in his name and so forth. He sent them out. He said, You know, don't go in the way of the Gentiles, verse 5, and so forth, as you go preach. So this is the context of this entire chapter is sending people out to minister. Now, in chapter 10, verse 40, verse 40, Jesus said, He who receives you, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus was sent by the Father and to re- and to receive Jesus was to receive the Father. To reject Jesus was to reject the Father. But Jesus took it another step further than that. He said, whoever receives you receives me. You could add to that, whoever rejects you rejects me. Amen. Well, he goes on to say here, he who receives a prophet In the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Now, he's not just talking about prophets because he didn't didn't send out prophets in this chapter. He sent out the 12 apostles. They weren't even apostles yet. They were disciples. So he's not talking about prophets per se, he's talking about people that are sent out in the ministry. Whether you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, it, the truth would apply. He, he said, he who receives a prophet, you can say a minister, in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward or the minister's reward. Now, the way I looked at this when I, when I was younger, I always thought this meant that if you receive a prophet or, or a righteous man, in the name of that prophet or that righteous, that that means to respect them and honor them, then you would receive a reward that you would receive the same reward they have. That's the way I looked at it. If you receive a prophet in the name of the prophet, you get the prophet's reward. That's not what this is talking about. This isn't talking about the reward God gives the prophet he then gives to you because prophets don't receive a reward for being a prophet. There's no no reward for being a prophet because the prophet wasn't responsible. He's not responsible for being... He's not a prophet because he earned it or he didn't work himself up into it and apply and and so forth. He's a prophet because the grace of God that's on his life. Well, the same thing is true about any minister. I'm not a... There's no reward on my life for being a pastor. I don't get rewarded for pastoring. I have to pastor. I'm not rewarded for that. I'm rewarded for faithfulness. And my faithfulness, the reward that I have for faithfulness, will be the same reward you have for faithfulness. Every man is rewarded according to what he's assigned to do, according to his faithfulness, and that reward is not transferable to somebody else. So this isn't talking about the reward that the that the prophet gets from God that he's then passes that on to you the prophet's reward is the ministry that the prophet has whatever God has given him for you when you receive him that ministry flows through him to you that is the reward he brings it's the ministry he brings do you see that well, the same thing is true where the where the pastor is concerned. He who receives a pastor, in, in because he's a pastor, will. In other words, what does it mean to receive a pastor? It means to accept the pastor. It means to uh, value the pastor. It means to uh, honor him and and receive the ministry that he has. And he says, he who receives a, a, a prophet, well, it would be the same thing as, would be true if it's a pastor. He who receives a pastor in the name of a pastor shall receive the pastor's reward. Over the years, I've, made, I've pastored now for 40, I'm in my 41st year. This sum will be 41 years. One congregation. The neat thing about pastoring one congregation is you see History repeat itself over and over and over, and, and you can see the long-term results of people. In my years of pastoring, there have always been, there's never been a period of time, I'm not saying there's never been a service, but there's never been a period of time in 41 years that there wasn't someone in the church. Most people come to church and their hearts are open. They're just open to their pastor. They want to receive whatever God has for them through me. And they're just like a sponge. And they're just open and they're respectful. But there's always been, always, from from the earliest days to now, there's always been somebody, not just one or two, but there's always been a few people in this church. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm just stating a fact. There's always been someone who kind of held me at arm's length. My My wife and I, not fully open to us. Now, a lot of times these are people who are faithful in church attendance. They're members. They serve in the ministry of helps. To all outward appearances, they are involved in the church, and they call me pastor, pastor, but they don't do what I say. Jesus said, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say. There's a pastor friend of ours that uh, and, uh, Pastor Angel refers to every now and then, uh, uh, Greg Var- Varney's wife, and talking about her kids, you know, she said, I'm not impressed. There have always been people who have held me at arm's length for whatever reason. A lot of times it's because of the past. A lot of times it's because of abusive pastors and, and churches they've been in where pastors were heavy-handed and and uh, uh, were improper in exercising authority. I understand that. I've done my best to try to win those people over, and I've been successful with with some over the years. And so this it's not the same people, but but there's a there's a there's a trend. At any given time in my pastorate, there have been people who just sit there and. And they've got their guards up all the time. They never fully receive me as pastor. They call me pastor, but they're not really open. And like I said, they've got walls up. And because of that, the ministry that I have for them never fully flows to them. Amen. So uh, I've been negligent, I guess, in talking about this. I've never preached on it before. I wrote a little bit about it in my book. Uh, on uh, the pastor's reward, I'd n- I've never taught, taught that in this church, never taught it, and, uh, and the reason is I, I am in 19, in the early 1970s, I got back to fellowship of the Lord in 1972, started going to church early 73, and uh, the charismatic movement was going on, and, and so I got involved in church, and we would, you know, I was involved in a local church, I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night, uh, other special services. I was involved in other activities during the week. We had uh, outreaches that we did. I was involved, so my church came first. But uh, on other nights of the week, there were other charismatic uh, meetings going on around town, and some of my friends and I, we, we'd visit some of these other charismatic meetings. So we began to be acquainted with people from other churches. And there were churches in Jacksonville in the 1970s that were into the shepherdship discipleship error. And the shepherdship discipleship error uh, placed too much emphasis, way too much emphasis on pastoral authority. And the pastors governed everything that went on in their church members' lives, even outside of church. And so it was very heavy-handed and uh, uh, you were rebuked very often. I mean, you had to really mind your, your, your P's and Q's. You'd be called on the carpet and rebuked and and uh, the pastors spoke into every detail of people's lives. They, 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 you know, you had to go to talk to the pastor to find out if it was God's will for you to take a, a new job or to apply for a new job or to buy a house, to move across town, uh, you know, who to marry, all of those things. And so uh, that's an abuse of pastoral authority. But there, there is something called ministerial authority. Paul knew about it. But I've always taken my cues from Paul. He said, I'm, I've always been careful not to abuse my authority in the gospel. And he even had to apologize because of it. The church at Corinth, uh, he would not allow them to, to support him financially because of the strife and the accusations that were being made about him. He said, no, I will not allow. I'm going to come to you free of all. I don't, I'm not taking any income from you. I'm doing it all for free. Well, that's not really scriptural. And he, in, in the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he said, I robbed other churches to minister to you. In other words, I received income from other churches to enable me to minister to you. He said, I robbed from them to give to you and he said, "Forgive me this wrong." So Paul had Paul struggled with, with the balance of pastoral or, or his in his case uh, apostolic authority. So I've always been very careful to not be heavy handed and, and be and be uh, 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 you know less demanding of people. But you know we have, we've got to start listening and start doing the right thing. Amen. One thing that people don't understand—I talked about this Monday night—people don't understand the difference between the preaching anointing and the pastoral anointing. Some people recognize the anointing on the pastor; They, they they recognize the supernatural aspect of their pastor when he's in the pulpit speaking the word of God, quoting script. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to argue with you know scriptures. So people are accustomed to relating to their pastor as being anointed when he's in the pulpit. And, and, there, and there is, that's the preaching anointing, or in my case, the teaching anointing. That anointing is wonderful, but that anointing's not on me all the time. The, the anointing to teach is not on me all the time. If, if, if it was, I'd just teach all the time. If the, if the anointing was on Brother Steve to preach all the time, he'd just preach all the time. He'd just preach himself to death. That anointing comes on the minister when he's in the pulpit and it lifts off of him. That's the, that's the re, Regretfully, that's the only anointing that some people perceive is that preaching anointing. The preaching anointing is not the pastoral anointing. The pastoral anointing is not the preaching or teaching anointing. It's the anointing to pastor. Pastors are shepherds. They feed, care for, guide, protect the flock of God and correct the flock of God when necessary. That's the job of a pastor and that's what the pastoral anointing is for. And the pastoral anointing is on the pastor to some degree all the time. It's it's completely different than the preaching anointing. I'm a pastor when I'm on vacation. I'm never, on, I'm never out from under that. I'm always a pastor. I'm a pastor uh, uh, in the middle of the night. If I get up and go to the bathroom, I'm still the pastor. The pastor's anointing is there all the time. But then when I'm away from the church, even though I'm a pastor, and I, when I'm relating to people, I'm still a pastor but I'm not relating to them as pastor they're not part of my flock so the pastor's anointing is not in great manifestation I'm conscious of it but but I'm not their pastor but when I come here when I'm in and when I'm here the pastoral anointing is is fully functioning and it's to enable me to oversee the flock amen go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Are you doing okay? In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul convened what I consider what I've called the very first pastor's conference in the New Testament. Now there was a there was a, a, a conference convened in the 15th chapter of Acts, but that wasn't just for pastors. That was just a generally a minister's conference. But in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul sent to Miletus, and he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus. Those were the pastors of the church at Ephesus. And he called them together to meet him. And uh, so they came to to Miletus, and and he ministered to them. won't go into everything he said, but in verse 28, he said, therefore, he's talking to these elders of the churches, of of various churches in, in, in Ephesus. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So we see here that pastors are overseers. They are shepherds. If you go over to First Timothy, the third chapter, you'll see a little bit more about this. In, in uh, the third chapter, verse number one, it says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, Now, a bishop, the word bishop comes from the same, not is, it doesn't come from, it is the same Greek word that's translated overseer. The word we just read in Acts 20 where it says, that's the verb form, to oversee the church of God, that's the verb form of this noun that's translated bishop. Same word, just one is a noun and one's a verb. He said a a bishop, or you could say a pastor then, must be blameless and so forth. He said in verse 5, If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So the pastor's job is to take care of the church. So in taking care of the church, uh, taking care of the church involves more than just teaching and preaching. It means establishing policies, uh, 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 identifying what ministries, what's going to happen and when and so forth. The problem that people have when they don't recognize the pastor's anointing is when he's speaking from the pulpit, oh boy, pastor's anointed, we have to listen to this. But whenever he gets up to make announcements, oh, well, that's just Edwin talking. We call him pastor now because it's disrespectful to call him Edwin, but really, that's just Brother Edwin. He's just talking like a natural man. No. No. When I announce policies, I'm doing that as the pastor and as the overseer. When I announce special services, and I say everybody needs to come. Now, I know not everybody can come. But people who, I've been preaching for 40 years for people to come to church on Sunday night. And there's some people who never come on Sunday night. They think that I'm just, it doesn't apply to them because they don't, they just don't go to church on Sunday night. It's interesting that during, before COVID, there were people who went to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And when COVID came, they quit going to church at all. And now they come a little bit, but they only come Sunday morning. What happened to Sunday night and Wednesday night? Well, pastor, you can't prove in the Bible that you're supposed to have two services a day on Sunday and come in the middle of the week. Yeah, but the Bible says uh, uh, exhorting uh, one another and so much the more about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another and so much the more, not so much the less. If somebody has a habit of going to church for, for three times a week and then to step back, that's not God. I said, that's not God. So when the pastor gets up, and I'm preaching to the choir, I know, because you're all here on some Wednesday night. You're not on, you're the Sunday night, and even better than that, you're the Wednesday night crowd. But what I'm saying is, people will sit in our church and say, I don't have to do that. Because that's just a man's opinion. No, it's not just a man's opinion. When I, when I exhort you uh, for that we're having a guest speaker. Want everybody to come. Some people just don't come to guest speakers. They just they just don't come when we have guest speakers. They'll come when we have church, but they won't come come for guest speakers, or they'll come one night, Sunday night, but they're not coming back. Well, not everybody can come back. I understand that. And I don't know everybody's personal situation, so I don't try to delve into it. But people who habitually won't do what the pastor asked them to do are in error. Amen. Now you cannot, no one can accuse me of abusing my authority. Because I like the Apostle Paul, I've been I've been very reluctant over the years. I haven't called people out on, on a lot of things. And uh, because again, I you know I've seen pastoral authority abused, and and besides that, I know that I'm human. You say, well, you know, there you go. You're human, Pastor, you could miss it. Yeah, well, so could the Apostle Paul. He did. He said, forgive me this wrong because I didn't receive offerings from you because you you were such a a knucklehead. You were so rebellious and so self-willed and so so divisive and so carnal. Anybody know the church at Corinth was carnal? And so the apostle held back and and really didn't say some things that he should say. But, you know, uh, he finally got tired of that. The apostles, the, the the church at Corinth, people in the church actually said this about the apostle Paul. They said his letters are weighty and powerful. In other words, he's, the scriptures. Ooh, boy, it's that's strong stuff. That's meat, weighty and powerful. They said, but his personal presence, his bodily presence, is weak and contemptible. Well, lottie da. They actually said the Apostle Paul, yeah, he's, he's a great man of God and his letters are important and the word is important, but he's really, he's pretty despicable. And in the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he said, Since you seek proof of Christ speaking through me, then the next time I come to you, I'm not going to come in weakness. I'm going to come in the full authority and I'm going to call people out. That's what he said. See, people, to, to, a lot of times, and it's because of people's upbringings. People have been involved in churches, you know, they've just been denominational churches, and the pastors served at the, at the uh, pleasure of the board. They were told what to do. And besides that, if he didn't like the pastor, you just wait him out. Because in a few years, he's going to be gone, and then you can go back to doing what you used to do. Amen. And, uh And so uh, people, they, 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 they tend to not respect that the pastor is speaking from, from God. When I tell you to move forward, that's God telling you to move forward through me. I'm going to say that again. That's God talking through me for you to move forward. Because it's not for anything personal of my benefit. I don't get any benefit out of it. It's for the sake of the church. It's for the sake of the ministry. In this case, it's so that we can get people in the building that need to come in. Now, people will come to me. I've been begging and asking and pleading for, for several years for people to move up for the camera's sake. People say, well, I just don't think that's important. Really. Go with me over to uh, Second Kings. I, don't, I just don't think I need to do that. You know, that's Pastor. He just wants us to sit forward so he can see us. No, I need you to sit forward, come forward, so that we'll have a better image to the community when they see our what chapter, did I tell you? Oh, 2 Kings, go to, uh, I guess I didn't write it down. I think it's the 2 Kings chapter, yes, chapter 5, it's not chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 5. Anybody remember a leper named Naaman? Naaman was the commander of the armed forces of Syria. The Bible says that he was a powerful man. He was a mighty man of valor. Only problem was he was a leper. He had a terrible disease. And so when the the uh, king of, of Syria, they were making raids into Israel and, and different, and different other, other nations, and they took captive this little Jewish girl and brought her back captive. And she became the the uh, handmaid of of uh, Naaman's wife. She was Naaman's wife's, you know, personal assistant. Well, she, you know, started telling Naaman's wife about, you know, there's a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha. He can heal my Lord, you know, your husband. He can heal me. Well, Naaman found out about it. He went to the king of, of Syria and said, this is what this little Jewish girl told me. And uh, she said, there's a prophet in Israel. So the king of Syria wrote a letter to the king of Israel. Only he made it sound like he was expecting the king of Israel to heal this this general. Well, the king of Israel got the letter and he's shaking in his boots. He said, oh no, he's, he's trying to set me up. He's trying to create some kind of a, you know, a, a strife between me and him and, and this is not going to turn out good. What am I supposed to, I can't heal him, his servant. Well, somebody came to him and said, wait a minute. There's a prophet here. So Elisha found out about it. He contacts the king. He said, send him to my house. So Naaman and all of his entourage, he shows up at, La- at Naaman's house, at, at Elisha's house, the prophet. And uh, he was expecting the prophet to come out and shake his hand and, you know, make a big to-do over him because he's, the, you know, this mighty general, you know. Elisha didn't even go outside. He sent his servant to to the general to Naaman and said go to to into Israel and and dip 7 times in the river Jordan. And you know you know what A- A- Naaman did? He got flat and mad about it. Bible says he was furious. And here's here was his his region, reasoning, his logic was There's nothing magical in the water. He knew that the water of Jordan or any other, the rivers, any other, there was nothing, there was no healing magic in the waters. He knew it was a symbolic dipping. But he considered the water of, 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 and the Jordan River inferior to the waters in his own. He said, are not the rivers of Abana and, and Farpar, are they not better than, than the Jordan? I'll just go there and dip seven times. He was, I mean, he was angry. And one of his entourage, one of the people with him, came up to him very, very politely and said, Now, now, sir, if the prophet had asked you to do something great for your healing, you would have done it. All he's asked you to do is to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. You see, Naaman didn't think it was necessary. He couldn't see any reason for it. So a lot of people think well when the pastor asked me to sit forward he asked me to do this i just don't see any need for it and so i just i'm just not going to do it and some people will some people will come to me and they'll say they'll move up they'll move up whenever i just make a big deal out of it and it'll last about one or two or maybe 3 weeks and they're right back they don't think it's necessary like i said i just want to be I just want to be relaxed at church. Well, you were just asked to move forward, to change your seat. I noticed that the youth fill this third row up right across here every Sunday morning, almost fill it up. And did you know what? They don't want to be on that row. None of them want to be in this center section. They have their hangout section. That's where they want to be. But you know what? Greg, Pastor Greg just went to them and asked them if they would. Now, he explained why. And I always explain why I want people to do things. He simply, because they're intelligent. You know, they're teenagers. are not little babies. So, you know, it's good to explain things to people. He explained, you know, we need to do this because the camera angle is right in here. And we need these, you know, it's shot right across here. And we need these seats filled up. They don't want to be here. But they do it, and they do it with a smile on their face. Now, parents want their teenagers to be submissive and agreeable, but they don't want to be aggressive, agree, agreeable and submissive themselves just because they were asked. My wife and I, for years, we went to Brother Hagin's meetings uh, when he was doing Holy Ghost. Now, we went to Ramah. Uh, you know, had been doing that for years, two or three times a year, a couple times a year, and uh, for homecoming and, and winter Bible and different things, camp meetings and stuff. Uh, and then time Brother Hagan was in our, in our uh, area, if he was in Florida, Georgia, somebody, you know, or maybe North, uh, uh, Alabama, you know, I would try to get to those meetings. But when he started doing Holy Ghost meetings, five or six a year, my wife and I, traveled all over the country to get into those meetings. We were instructed by the Spirit of God to do that. There was a reason for it. We got in those services, and we were assigned where to sit. Now, because I was a regional director, I got a good seat. I'll I'll, I'll admit that. I got good seats. Kendall uh, uh, Watrous was here at the ladies' meeting, this past one with, with Pastor Nancy. She and her husband pastor in Warner Robbins, Georgia. Well, at that time, uh, her husband, David, was on the, the, the ministry team. He played the trombone, no, he played the saxophone, I think, in the Rhema Singers and Band. And he was assigned the job of placing all of the ministers that came to the meetings. Well, because I was a regional director, I always got up close. Now, I liked, I liked this seat right here, I liked to be on the edge. I can shout, you know, I can jump and dance, you know, and get out in the aisle real quick. I like that. I always wanted to be on, on, be on the end. And, you know, I buddied up to David. He wasn't a, he wasn't a pastor at that time. I, you know, I got good friends with him, and he was always looking out for me. But sometimes we got there, and there were other people that had come to the meeting that had higher priority than I did, and I didn't get to sit on the end. And I wasn't on the second. I was rarely on the first row, but I, a, a lot of times I was on the second row. And there wasn't any COVID rows, you know. And, uh, but sometimes I was, I was three, four, five, or six rows back. I was just glad to be in the house. Dear Lord, you can't sit where you want to, and so you're going you're gonna to be obstinate about it. I just, like I said, I was glad to be in the building. You ought to be glad to be in the building. What would the underground church tonight think? Who, are, who is in a country where they could be arrested for going to church, and there's about 50 or 60 people crammed into this little cracker house. In the middle of the night, no ventilation, no heating, no air, sitting on top of one another, And they don't have Bibles. And if somebody brings them a Bible, they fall on their knees and weep and cry. They actually have a Bible. There's no bathrooms. We have abundance of bathrooms. We have a beautiful auditorium. There's not a bad seat in the house. And people are so peevish, so immature, So selfish, I want what I want. Yeah, but what about other people coming in? What about our our access to reaching people via via our our YouTube channel? But they're so selfish. I just want what I want. Well, if I wanted what I want, I wouldn't be doing this tonight. Because I don't like this kind of stuff. It's not fun. Yeah, I have special needs that require that I sit in the back. Well, I noticed those special needs weren't too much of a problem when we were having church out in the parking lot. Amen. They came and, and they didn't make repeated trips in, you know, because they didn't out in the parking lot. They didn't want to, everybody to see them go in, I guess. I'm just saying people need to grow up and quit being so childish. Quit being so rebellious. Quit being so carnal. Amen. If you are... Now, now let me go back before I get off of this. What do you think would have happened to Naaman... If he have just said, I, I'm just going to... I'm going to, to the river of Farpar, and I'm just going to dip there. I'm not, you know... If dipping is the thing, I'm going to go dip over there. I can dip over there, or I can dip over here. I'm going to dip over here. Would he be, Would he have been healed? No. The prophet's reward was his healing. But he had to receive that man as a prophet of God. He had to listen to him. And when you don't properly respect your pastor enough to do simple things I'm not calling on anybody to do anything hard or to sacrifice anything but a seat (laughs) the proximity to the pulpit a few feet (laughs) I shouldn't be having to have this talk this has gone on long enough amen if you are perpetually late for church You are selfish. Now, anybody can be late at any time. Something can happen. You can leave the house. It's not likely in the high springs, but, you know, you could, there could be a traffic jam. Has <laughs> happened. We, huh? Yes, there's an accident on the highway and somebody couldn't get it. I know those things can happen. But if you are perpetually late to church, Or to your assignment in the Ministry of Helps and people have to wait on you. You're just being selfish. It's selfish. It's childish. It's immature. You're saying that your time is more important than the team's time. Might be the music team. They're waiting. They're supposed to start at a certain time to practice. But somebody is just perpetually late. And so we just have to wait on them and we just say, well, that's just the way they are. Yeah. You know you want to know how the you know what the way they are? You know what that way is? Carnal. <laughs> because they don't plan to get there on time. Well, amen. So you can you can take offense or you can get healed. You can take offense or you can act on the word of God and start thinking about somebody else more than yourself amen now, praise the lord hallelujah so I'm not abusing my authority and talking like this this is long overdue now this doesn't uh, uh, portend a change in the way I do things I'm not certain suddenly you know feeling my pastoral oats and now I'm going to be the I'm going to be the big rebuker of, of the church. That's not happening. That's not my style. What I'm saying is that we have a real situation right now. And I shouldn't, it shouldn't have come to this. When you're, when you're asked to do things that by the pastor in relation to the church and the business and the activity of the church, then just do it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, we want you to sit together with anybody you can sit with. Now, if, if, you, if you are saving us two seats and you've got somebody over here and they're your buddy and you go out to eat with them or you work with them or something, you know, or you're, you're with them outside church, you could sit together, but you've got your space. So if you decide, I know what I'll do. I'll position myself next to somebody, two seats over, that I can't fellowship with. That isn't part of my circle. And so now I'll have an excuse. Rebellious. Rebellious. God knows what you're doing. And people, I think people think the Pastor Angel and I are stupid. Are either blind, and we're neither. God knows what's going on, and we know what's going on. And my natural tendency is to, is to just be nice, But you can be nice to a fault. Amen. So uh, help me help other people. I'm looking out here tonight and I see people sitting together that they fellowship with, families together. That's wonderful. I don't know that we need two seats. CDC said six feet. But then you, you know the science. It's just not there. casual being around people and even talking it's just you just you need to exercise common sense we need to be safe and we need to be respectful but at the same time we've been called together as a body and we're not gonna shut our doors or shut people out who want to come to church if we have to we're gonna we'll move together because because God's behind that He's calling people in. We need to have a place where they can come in. And we have a great place. It won't always be this way. Curtis and I were talking about some way of increasing seats in here. And, and I, I looked this week and I, I saw a way to add 14 seats in here. Because you go in the back. See the back row back there? That's an that's a, that's a occupiable row. If we put another row behind that, Ain't nobody sitting in that row. That's going to be a ribboned row. Then the row behind that's going to be almost on top of that back row that's against the, the, the uh, two booths back there. So Pastor Angela came out and said, Well, we can move those chairs. Yes, we could, but we didn't, we didn't gain anything. You can't have the chairs row on the, against the booths and have that second row. There's not room to get by. So I came in here and I counted. We can put a chair here and put a chair here and put a chair here and put a chair back there. And I counted up 14 chairs. Well, how many of you know 14 chairs doesn't mean 14 people? Because not every chair is going to be filled. I counted, not ribboned, not ribboned chairs, but available chairs. We have 200, the way we're configured right now, we have 231 available chairs. We don't have 231 people. We had 200 people Sunday, and that was counting all the people in all the other rooms and, and serving in, in various places and the people on security. We only had 200 people. So there's no way you're going to get every chair filled. so we add 14 chairs. How many are we going to, How many more people are we going to get in I don't know. A few. No, we've got to manage ourselves better. Amen. So you know, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself now. but uh, we have a fellowship. Is it? Almost nine o'clock? Well, I surely don't need to repeat myself. <laughs> we have a fellowship. Every time we have church fellowships, we 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 stress to the people: fellowships are biblical. You ought to be at a church fellowship. There's some people they just don't go to church fellowships. They just don't like them. I mean, they just won't go. They never go. They never come to church fellowships. That's why they don't have any friends. That's why they don't have any friends. They don't want friends. They don't want to be friendly. That's why they don't feel like they belong. Because they just, they're selfish. So you need to be here at the church fellowship. Encourage, I know all of you will be here, but encourage other people. Amen. Some of this applies to to maybe people in this room. But you need to, to receive me not as anything other, I'm nobody, I'm nobody in my natural ability. I'm just your pastor. And God ordained that I be in this place to lead us into congregation in everything we need to do, and that includes these kinds of things. So, hadios, you're dismissed.